dia, boa tarde. Welcome to another news flash podcast from PortugueseSoccer.com. I'm your guest host, John Neves, back here again to talk about my favorite subject, your favorite subject, and that is, of course, Portuguese soccer, Portuguese football, whatever word you use in your part of the world. Episode number 72, and I come to you this weekend from the great city of Boston, Massachusetts. Ton of Portuguese in this uh, state here in the New England region of the United States, and I'm in town for some personal business and to see some family. And I'm glad that I was able to sneak away for about uh, 20, 25 minutes and really make some comments about things that are going to be upcoming, um, obviously with the uh, Euro coming up and as well as some news uh, with regard to, you know, things like Sergio Conceição's renewal, the transfer market with Sporting and Benfica, and of course, uh, here we are in a silly season. But we'll start off, of course, uh, the Euro is underway today with uh, Italy hosting uh, Turkey. Portugal will begin play on a Tuesday, and then on Saturday, they will be going uh, to Germany um, to play their second uh, group match. Um, what's very interesting on Tuesday versus Hungary, if you don't know already, is that right now it looks like they're expecting something close to 70,000 people at the stadium in Budapest. Uh, obviously, with the world that we have lived in, um, you know, the idea of having 70,000 or even if it's 60,000 uh, fans in a stadium is, is really incredible to say. And I will tell you that as of that game coming up on Tuesday, I wonder if that will probably also be, at least during the pandemic, the most amount of people at a sporting event. I know there was, I think, something like 44,000 at a major league soccer game with Atlanta and the Montreal Impact. But Portugal on Tuesday will open up group play against Hungary in front of this possibility of this many fans. Uh, again, it's got to be a psychological challenge for the players. I mean, look, these players play for some of the best teams in the world, obviously, and uh, you know, playing in a stadium full really is nothing. It does not phase these uh, players at all. However, psychologically, in terms of what we've been through the last 15 months, it is something that you wonder if it will be a factor. Uh, remember the previous time that they played beating Israel for nothing, um, they played in an empty stadium in Alvalad, and now they're going from an empty stadium to a very busy stadium. So that'll be another storyline on uh, Tuesday. And, uh, you know, like everyone looking forward to uh, Tuesday, of course, if we look back, and it seems like it's forever, five years ago, Portugal, of course, won the Euro. Uh, I remember that summer so well. When you compare what we're going to be going through this summer and what we compare to what we went through that summer, of course, we, uh, we drew in all three of our group games. I mean, check out the group for Portugal back then. It's hard to believe. I mean, here we have a group right now with Hungary, Germany, and France. Portugal, Germany, and France, most years, you would think they would be teams that would be playing in the semifinals. And here they are playing in the groups. Um, but check out this group that uh, Portugal had back in 2016. They had Hungary. Remember Iceland? How, uh, how they became everyone's uh, favorite, the small country, uh, upsetting everybody, including England. And the Austria, if you remember. Austria at that time, I think, was ranked in the top 20 but they haven't really done that much since. So when you think about 2016, where we were, we were supposed to come out of that group. It was supposed to be back then. A lot of people considered it 
the easiest group of Euro 2016. And now, of course, you look, and here we are now, essentially in what some may say is the hardest group. So things have certainly changed uh, in five years. Now, obviously having the easiest group, we were still able to go on and win. But at the end of the day, um, this time, I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult. And look, I could sit here and talk to you about who should be in the starting 11. I, should sit here, I could sit here and talk to you about what Fernando Santos needs to do. Uh, does Cristiano Ronaldo need to score goals to save us like he's done many times in his career? There are a lot of ways that I can go into detail on this and go into really specifics. Um, and if you want specifics, I, I encourage you to check out Danny Pinto's podcast, Solisson Pod, uh, for more of these specifics. To me, I think the secret to this Euro is really not Cristiano. It is not Bruno Fernandez. I think it's really one of the other players that needs to have a tremendous Euro that puts Portugal in a better position to not only come out of the group, hopefully in first place, but to put Portugal in a better position. And the reason why I say that is Cristiano and Bruno, obviously for everything they've done, they are the big time players and everybody knows that what they can do, but everyone's going to be circling in and kind of zooming in on those players. If a Diego Jota, okay. If someone like Andres Silva, if someone like Bernardo Silva can really step it up, you know, much in the way Edder stepped up and scored the winning goal. I, I think if you had asked a lot of people before Euro 2016 to put money on who they think they would score the winning goal, I'm not sure that a lot of people, if you gave them three choices, would have had Edder as one of your choices. And it's going to be the same thing here. Portugal needs somebody else, somebody else besides the two big boys, besides the regulars to kind of step it up because if you've got somebody else like a Jota who's scoring a lot of goals or an Andre Silva who's scoring a lot of goals or Bernardo, um, you have any of these players, a Sergio Oliveira, any of these players that all of a sudden you've got to worry about now in addition to worry about Bruno and Cristiano Ronaldo, all of a sudden now Portugal is a much more powerful team. And I think that's the way you've got to uh, look at it. Uh, I'm pretty sure if you're Fernando Santos and his staff, and they're talking in the hotel and they're talking at the stadium. Players are jogging around during the 15 minutes that are open to the press. They're probably thinking the same thing too. We're going to have Cristiano doing what Cristiano does and we're going to have what Bruno does. We need somebody else to step it up and give them another attack so that all of a sudden the defenders don't know where to look, left or right, because wherever you look left or right, anybody in Portugal could score. And I think that's going to be a very, very important part of it. Now, there's been a lot said about this being the group of death, and it is. As I said in my previous episode, how Portugal, Germany, and France, and, and obviously there's a rhyme and reason to it because of rankings and all that and the way the balls came out in the draw. But most years, this is almost like a quarterfinal, semifinal type of uh, teams that you would be expecting to be playing that late in the competition. You don't have that right now. And that's why, to me, the most important match, and by the way, every match becomes more important when you go to play the next match. But to me in this group, I think the most important match is going to be Hungary. And I say that because I think a lot of people would probably say a draw with Germany or a draw with France would be a good result. 
But I think everybody realizes that if you are going to get three points in what some would say is the easiest three points in the group, I think most people would agree that those three points would be from Hungary. Now, Hungary has an advantage. They're playing in their own stadium. They're going to have the support of their fans. Obviously, because of the pandemic, a lot of people are probably scared away. So you're going to really have more of native Hungarians at this match. I'm not sure how many Portuguese are there. But based on what I read, there is a bit of a community in Hungary, but it's certainly not as big as other parts of the world. So this is really, even though in the European Championship or in a World Cup, except for playing the host country, which obviously in this case, there is no host country, it's supposed to be neutral. And there obviously is no neutral with a lot of these matches, including when Portugal plays uh, Germany. But Portugal, they need the three points. I don't, even though there's a chance that they could come out of this group, they need the three points to be able to go into a match with Germany and France and know that if they draw against one of those teams that they already got the three points. Basically, to me, Hungary can do the most damage in this group. They defeat somebody, they pull the upset, or they take away points with a draw. That's really going to hurt one of these three big teams in Portugal to try to qualify out of the group. And I think that that's a very big, important factor in this conversation. And all the players, you know, the national team, every day they make a player available to the press. A lot of these players, especially these players that have been professionals for a number of years, you hear their cliches, you hear the things they say, which you pretty much hear any other player say. They kind of all say the same thing. We take every match seriously. We go out there. Every match is worth three points. And that's true. But this match is really worth more than three points. Psychologically, that is, because to go into Germany and to go into play a team like France knowing that you already have a win in this group is going to be very, very important, especially if Portugal could beat Hungary. And then let's say France and Germany draw, that would certainly be a big psychological boost for Portugal before they go to Germany to play the Germans. And I think that's a very important factor in this conversation is that Portugal, Fernando Santos is going to say, you have to win every match. And that's true. That's what you're supposed to say. But I think in this case, this is really very, very important. I don't think, in my opinion, if Portugal were to do three draws like they did in 2016, I think they might have a harder time coming out of this group. Um, and obviously, goals scored is going to be a big factor. Portugal, of course, has all this firepower. But a lot of people would say that the best team in this group is probably uh, France. And let's remember that Portugal... In their 11, 11 international matches, their only loss has been to France. And that, of course, was in the uh, League of Nations. And that, of course, they beat us that time, if you remember, you know, that that was in uh, Portugal. So to me, there are two things that are very important here as we head into next Tuesday. Number one, we need the three points. If you're going to get three points in any of these matches, it has to be Hungary. All cliches aside, it has to be Hungary. And number two, who besides... Bruno and Cristiano is going to step up to be the big star. I think Andres Silva, for everything he's done in the Bundesliga, this is a big opportunity for him to perhaps move on to a bigger club with the big showing in Europe. And let's not forget with a player like Sergio Oliveira, who's being linked with a team like Fiorentina. Let's not forget with a player like Nuno Mensch, which, you know, if reports are to be believed, you know, the Manchesters, the cities, the Real Madrids want to see him play in the euro before they decide to spend 
something like 15 million euros. There are also players on the Portugal squad that are playing for their next contract, that are playing to be at their next big club. Uh, goalkeeper Rui Silva just signed. Uh, it was announced on Friday that he's going to be joining Real Batiste, where William plays. He's a player that has all the calm in the world because he already knows his next club. But for a lot of other Portuguese players, especially those that probably may be entering their final year of their contract, this is a very, very important match for Portugal. And the question is, is who will be that player for Portugal that's going to step up? Who's going to be the next person? Who's going to be the next star? All these, I've said it so many times, all these Portuguese players, it's must-see TV. It's the type of thing where people, we have a bunch of <clears throat> stars on our team and people are going to want to see them play. But the question is, are people, um, you know, who's going to be the next player to step up? And I think that's going to be a very important factor. Um, you know, back in, uh, I said this, by the way, back in 2016 to a lot of people, I even tweeted it out, that it couldn't be just all Cristiano Ronaldo. And it turned out to be that way. It turned out we had another star, Renato Sanchez came out and his star got even bigger that summer. Quaresima, he stepped up, helped out Portugal big time. And you look at Eder, what Eder did. So we cannot be expecting our big players to be the stars all the time that save the team. Who will be in this squad, the big star that's gonna help Portugal if we go to penalty kicks and scores the winner? Who's going to be the player that scores an extra time to give us the win? Is Rui Patricio going to be put into a position despite all our firepower against France? Is he going to have to deal with defending a lot, whereas compared to the Hungarians, they'll probably be more defensive and he probably won't be that busy. So we have to, again, like I said in 2016, and I'll say it again here today, who is that player? Who's the player or players that are going to step up and be the part of the reason why we won the match and helped us get out of the group. And I think that's going to be the very big question um, that a lot of people are going to ask. And Portugal has always progressed when they've played in the Euros. They've always progressed out of the group. So that's something that history is on our side. But I think one would agree that of all the groups that we have, that we've played, this might be our toughest because Germany is Germany and of course France you know, in my opinion, even, you know, I know I think Belgium might be the number one ranked team in the world with FIFA, but in my opinion, and Nino Torres from, uh, uh, you know, Gold TV said this when I interviewed him a few episodes ago, they're loaded too. They've got a great team. They've got a lot of speed and they don't have a lot of, you know, they don't have a lot of weaknesses. And Portugal's weaknesses is we probably don't know who's going to be that next big player to step up. But with these other countries, you kind of know who the big stars are and you know the ones that can really you know, do the uh, most damage. Most people, according to Odds Checker, say that Portugal is 19 to 2 to win. Um, we'll see. We'll see in, in your part of the world whether or not you're able to put any money on that. But I think Portugal, in my opinion, no doubt, is one of the three or four best teams in the world. Um, and certainly in Europe, has the opportunity uh, to win. You know, big question, is this Cristiano Ronaldo's big swan song? Is this his last big major tournament? Um, I have no doubt that he'll be back for the World Cup, which, of course, we still have to qualify for, but I think we feel good about our chances. But is the Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, he did score against Israel. 
Are we going to see the Cristiano Ronaldo from two to three years ago when even though he's getting older, he was still doing incredible things? Or are we going to see the Cristiano Ronaldo who pretty much in the last year, even though he scored some goals, he's certainly not scoring them on the same pace that he was doing two or three years ago. And he is motivated by the fact that he needs five goals to tie the international record, six to break it. Um, and you'll wonder if he's going to be able to do it. I will say right now that I think he's good for two or three goals in this tournament. I think if he scores five goals, again, he just does the unexpected. But I think if Portugal is going to win this Euro, we can't be expecting him to score half a dozen goals. We need somebody else to step it up. But it'd be very interesting to see whether or not Cristiano Ronaldo is going to be the player that he was two, three years ago. Or is Cristiano Ronaldo going to be the player that of late, the, the press has been asking the players at these daily press conferences, you know, Cristiano, he hasn't scored that many goals and the players have had to defend him. Are we going to see that Cristiano who, you know, again, although he did score against Israel, is certainly not scoring on the same pace. And look, he did lead Syria. He's obviously done it in three of the biggest leagues in the world. We all know what he can do. But the biggest question is, is can he do this right now? And is he going to be as effective? And I think that's another big question, um, you know, with the uh, tournament. And, um, you know, like you, um, it's great to know that we've got these type of international matches pretty much for the next month. Um, it's going to be interesting. You'll have something like 60 to 7,000 people watching Portugal, Hungary. And then I know St. Petersburg in Russia is going to have around 30,000 fans, but ultimately a lot of the others it's between 10 or 20,000 fans, but 10 or 20,000 fans could be very noisy and it'll just be very nice that we'll be able to watch, um, you know, these, uh, these matches and know that uh, we're going to have fans and that we're going to be playing uh, these Europe. And, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know about you. Um, obviously we're not going to all be in a position to watch every match, but certainly on Tuesday and next Saturday, I'm going to be glued to my TV. I'm going to be listening to the Portuguese radio in the lead up to the kickoff because in case you didn't know and you really want to hear the local Portuguese angle, that's usually the best place to do it with TSF radio or RTP, Antena Wung. Those are usually a good place about an hour before the match to kind of get your real uh, pregame. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot to look forward to and, you know, the world is slowly getting better, but not obviously in, in all places, but the European continent will be hosting the European championships. And I just think that this is a great news uh, for Europe. And I think, you know, we're all looking forward to Portugal defending their title. And again, we've got to win that first match. Uh, moving on to talk about a few other things. Um, very proud of the under 21 effort. I think uh, Portugal's future is very bright. Um, Considering what we already have with the senior national team, it's hard to think how many of these guys are going to have a chance to eventually move up to the senior team. Um, I mean, a lot of these players on the under 21, if they play for a Hungary, you know, if they play for an Austria, they play for an Iceland, any of these other small countries in Europe, they're probably the stars of those teams. But here in Portugal, the way Portugal's academy system is set up and the way that Portugal, the big three and, and, don't, you know, they deserve a lot of the credit for creating a lot of this talent. Portugal is just loaded. But Portugal, unfortunately, weren't able to take care of business. Losing, to me, the most painful result in a match is when you lose one to nothing. Portugal had their opportunities, but 
Of course, if it wasn't for Costa, Germany might have scored as well more than one goal. And I just think that the under 21s, it's 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 hurt. It's hurt to lose for the third time going to a European final under 21 and losing. But I think at the end of the day, you know, my father used to say, hey, there's only two teams left to play for the uh, championship. And as long as you're one of them, that's a pretty good thing. And obviously you want to win because that tastes even better. And of course, we've had the opportunity to taste that at other levels. But so far, we haven't been able to, to taste that at the under 21 level. Uh, hey, great job by the Portuguese women's national team going down to Texas in the United States. Houston, uh, they lost. Well, they lost. I know probably obviously it's not a good result, but it was only one nothing playing in front of a lot of fans, playing the best team in the world in uh, women's football, women's soccer. I mean, they really are. They're ranked number one. And obviously, one to nothing really isn't that bad of a result. And the news reports have been overwhelmingly positive. They're going to get ready now to play Nigeria, which is another team that perennially tends to play in the World Cup. So again, great job by the FPF, the Federation, to put the woman in the position to improve and everything I've heard about the, the women's team has been uh, really positive. So a lot to look forward in the future. If you're a, you know, if you're a female listening to this and you play the sport, um, there's a lot to be excited about. You know, we, we all should follow the domestic league, Liga BPI a little bit more. Um, things are happening in Portugal. And I just think that's a very positive step for uh, Portugal. Um, moving on, and let's talk about the big three. Uh, obviously, the big news, you know, I dropped my uh, episode number 71 last Friday night. An hour later, the reports break that Song signed the deal. Obviously, of course, no connection, but uh, the timing of it. And uh, if you heard my last episode, I, I spent a few minutes talking about why Porto should renew with Conceição. But uh, obviously, it, uh, the news was announced, um, you know, after I... Uh, you know, put out the podcast, I dropped it, but uh, not really surprising. It, it's, it really is the best thing for Porto right now in Song. They are truly a great married couple. Portugal, uh, Porto with all those players from the under 21 have a bright future. And I think Sergio Conceição could build on their bright future. And he's going to a team where he is truly the boss. He's going to a team that's going to be competing in the Champions League. And he's going to be going to a team um, that, you know, they're one of the best teams in uh, Portugal, and certainly the way they eliminated Juventus, I think a lot of people know the Porto name. So I think it was really good for uh, Porto, and it's a sign Conceição. Fabio Vieira, who is the under-21 most valuable player, the player of the tournament in the most recent under-21 Euro. Bright future for him uh, with Porto, and you know, again, there's a lot to be excited about. But now, like Benfica, and like Sporting, it's silly season. Some of it may not necessarily be so silly in the next few weeks because of the Euro, but eventually, you know, once teams start getting knocked out, once clubs usually at the end of um, June, early July, start to get together to work out and start to do preseason, you know, you'll start to see silly season. And, uh, you know, already reports, uh, you know, Benfica, will they be moving uh, Weigel, uh, Tarat, Apparently has been receiving some offers. He may not be with the team uh, next year. Um, you know, I've I've heard from a very reliable source that uh, you know there might have been a connection, a possible future to him with Major League Soccer. You know, we'll see if that's just silly season. But uh, I thought it was a very good source that I heard it from. So we'll see if maybe that's a possibility this summer. But at the end of the day, 
the biggest news team that's going to make the most news will probably be sporting. And of course, Nunu Mange, obviously one of the best young prospects in Europe. And it will be very curious to see how much time he's going to get at this Euro. And he, will he be able to show these big clubs before they decide to spend 50 million euros, which in a pandemic economy, folks, is a lot of money for someone that doesn't necessarily score a lot of goals, but is the type of player that at his position, you could solve all your problems on that side of the pitch by getting a young player, who, by the way, is only 18 years old. And Cristiano Ronaldo, from what I read on a FIFA tweet, scored his first goal when Nuno was only one year old. So... That just tells you how uh, how young this kid is and how much potential he has. So, obviously, there's going to be a lot of stories with Tim, a lot of stories with Pote. Apparently, Villarreal was interested in him, but uh, Pote, I think, wants to stay. I read that, by the way, as, thank you, Villarreal. I know you won the Europa League, but unfortunately, like most players that play for the big three in Portugal, I want to play for one of the really big clubs in Europe. So, thank you very much. That's how at least I read you know, report that came out in the press about how he wants to maybe spend another year at sporting. But uh, I think he was just, you know, if reports are to be believed, that's just being polite to uh, Villarreal, which is, by the way, a very successful club in Spain. But most people don't grow up wanting to play for Villarreal. Most people want to play for the Manchester Uniteds, the Cities, the PSGs, the Milans, um, you know, Chelsea's. That's who most people uh, want to uh, play for. Uh, so we'll see. Ruben Neves. Uh, was also in the news this week uh, with Arsenal, my uh, beloved Arsenal in terms of the, my Premier League teams. Uh, I would say that he would be a great fit for Arsenal. The only thing that scares me, if I have to hear uh, troops or uh, you know any of these other personalities on the show criticize him, you know if he had a bad performance, I would hate to see that. But I think this is a big move for him, and I think this is uh, an opportunity for him to you know go to a bigger club. I mean, the Wolves, Bulls fans, by the way, are unbelievable. But Arsenal is, of course, what they are. Arsenal, even if they haven't been the Arsenal that most people wish they were these last five years. So I'd be curious to see if these reports are in fact true. No doubt if Ruben Nevs has a very good Euro, it's only going to help uh, not only Wolves sell him for more money, but that might put more pressure on Arsenal and Robbie Lyle to complain that they've got to get this kid. So We'll see, you know, Ruben Neves is only 24 years old. He's still got his best uh, football soccer, you know, ahead of him. Uh, Bruno Lage. So all the stories were correct. Um, he is going to be managing Wolves. Always very good uh, to see another Portuguese uh, managing. And, uh, you know, after what we saw, you know, with Carlos Carvajal, uh, Marco Silva, and then, of course, uh, you know, obviously Nuno Espirito Santo with the Wolves. And Nuno, of course, Still looking for a club. Reports he got close to a club in the Premier League, but it did not work out. It's a story on The Athletic that I still have to check out. I'll probably check it out later tonight. But Duno, of course, is on the uh, on the market. And, of course, you know about uh, Rui Vitoria at Spartak Moscow. Could be a potential opponent for Benfica in the uh, Champions League qualifiers. Let's, uh, you know, pay attention uh, to that. Um, but, uh, again, congratulations uh, to Bruno Lage, who I will tell you, and I said this in uh, my episodes when he was managing Benfica. The guy, if you ever listen to him do a press conference, or if you ever hear him do an interview, he doesn't really – he's not really scared. You know, he doesn't really worry about what the fans say. He doesn't – you know, he, he kind of gets – you know, if he doesn't like your question, he'll come back at you. He's, he's a very serious guy, but I think a guy that really has into perspective what it's going to be like being a manager in the Premier League because – 
if he starts off slow or he has any periods where they, you know, go three or four matches without a win, you know, it gets really bad in Portugal when you don't win and the fans get upset at you. But let me tell you, in the EPL, it can be really bad, bad because EPL just has a lot more fans around the world than a Portuguese club. Uh, so Bruno Lage really, uh, to be an EPL manager, you almost have to be perfect every day in a way, um, or at least whatever you do in the case of Wolves, make sure that, you know, you qualify uh, for uh, Europe. Um, let's, uh, well, two things I'm going to wrap up this uh, episode with. And again, thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much for your support. And again, I wanted to drop an episode uh, because the numbers have always been good. And I wanted to give you my opinions like I just did with everything that's coming up. But I want to wrap it up with two things. First off, the COVID situation in Portugal, the cases have kind of gotten a little bit bigger. It's a big concern. I know Lisbon, when they just did their rollback, some restrictions, Lisbon was not one of those areas that rolled back the restrictions. They still are under some type of restrictions. And um there's been a lot said about Portugal um, that the cases have gone up, but again, it hasn't exploded like it did back in January. And I think people need to put that into a perspective. Big news this week. Of course, we all know what went on with England, putting Portugal on the list where if you travel to Portugal and go back to England, you got a quarantine and that has had a devastating effect on the economy. But uh, the Portuguese government uh, did announce this week that they would allow tourists from the United States. Uh, United States, of course, one of those countries where the vaccination is going at a major speed, almost like Nunu Men's running the left flank. I mean, incredible speed in the United States. And they're going to be welcoming back tourists uh, that are vaccinated. Now, we don't know whether or not you still have to be tested when you get to Portugal, at least when I'm dropping uh, this episode. We don't know yet you know, what are, what other pluses, in addition to being vaccinated, you need to do to go to Portugal. But obviously, in the United States, humongous Portuguese community, probably the second biggest after France. And obviously, that has been well received in the Portuguese communities, especially for people that want to go back and who haven't been back to the houses that they still have in Portugal. So that's uh, very, very big news at the United States. But again, some more details are to come. But certainly, if you're in the United States, uh, that is uh, very, very good news. Folks, I'm going to wrap it up. I've got a, uh, an evening to enjoy here in uh, Beantown, as they call it, uh, Boston. Uh, a lot of Portuguese up here. It's, of course, uh, Portugal Day uh, weekend, obviously. Not quite the same weekend that we have, let's say, two or three years ago, because uh, you know people are still in pandemic mode. But hopefully next year will be different. But uh, looking forward to uh, taking care of some business here this weekend. As always, folks, and I really mean it, please take care of yourselves. Please take care of your families. And as always, thanks for listening. Ciao, everybody. Thank you.